Hello, and welcome to Thrive, a podcast that gives you strategies and inspiration to help you live your best life. Learn from us, two cancer survivors, as we show you how we don't just survive, but thrive. Hi, I'm Dara Kurtz, author, speaker, and creator of crazyperfectlife.com. I help people learn how to bring more joy into their lives, find meaning each day, and connect with the people they love. Hi, I'm Garth Callahan. I am a seven-ton cancer thriver, but more importantly, I am also the original napkin notes dad. I've been writing notes to my daughter, Emma, and sticking them into her lunch ever since kindergarten. Hey everyone, we are so excited to introduce you to Jessica Leahy. She is a teacher, writer, and author of the New York Times bestselling book, The Gift of Failure, How the Best Parents Learn to Let Go So Their Children Can Succeed. This is such an important and timely topic, and we are so happy to have you, Jessica. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me during this very weird time. It is a very weird time, and I feel like so many people are feeling like they're failing their kids right now. Yeah, it's it's really tough. I, I belong to sort of a big group of sort of parenting authors, experts, speakers kind of thing. We check in with each other from time to time, and I can reassure the parents of America that the quote-unquote experts aren't sure what to do right now. So, you know, it's all good. We're all just doing the best we can in a crisis situation. I'm married to an infectious diseases specialist and a medical ethicist. Ooh, and so we, I, have, we have like a double, <laughs> double and we right don't now. know what we're doing. Half the time. <laughs> you know, talking about, we don't know the full plans for our kids back to school situation yet. So, yeah. And yeah, so I live in Virginia and it is, it's a coin toss every day at this point. <laughs> Everything's changed. I mean, like everything can change so much from one week to the next because the information that comes out can be varying. So we do all have to sort of be very Mm -hmm. flexible right now in trying to figure out. Yeah, we actually, my husband and I actually have a piece coming out in the Washington Post fairly soon about going back to school. And we're putting, we've decided to put a caveat at the top that says this piece will be updated as events warrant because there's no way you can write a piece today and have it be accurate three weeks from now. It's just everything's changing so fast. The studies are coming out quicker and, you know, yeah. Yes. Yes. So assuming that a lot of parents who are listening to this podcast have kids that were, at school virtually before. And a lot of people maybe felt like they were failing their kids. A lot of parents had a lot of guilt about that. And assuming that we're going to be probably going back into some form of that life again, what advice can you give to parents? Well, what, first of all, there's there was a lot of slack. We, at first anyway, cut teachers a lot of slack early on because it was crisis mode. And, you know, we sort of said, okay, no one can plan for this. So, you know, we'll cut everybody some slack. But there's this understanding now that, oh, well, teachers have had all summer to get ready for the fall and everyone's going to be ready for everything. And, you know, <laughs> as, a, as a teacher of 20 years, I can tell you right now a couple of things. Number one, teaching virtually, teaching online, teaching distance learning, whatever you you want to call it is a really, it's a skill. It's something that you actually really need to be trained in. It's not something that comes easily, especially when you're being asked over the summer to prepare for one of three options, hybrid, in-person, or virtual. So everybody, I think, needs to take a deep breath and have a lot of patience with everyone else. I think parents are scared. Teachers joke that at parent-teacher conferences, there's always like six people in the room. There's the parent, there's the child, there's the idealized version of the child that the Mm. parent would like 
leave their parenting. There's the ghosts of the parents, you know, when they were bullied, when they were in 11th grade, all that sort of stuff. And right now that fear is kicking up a lot for us. And I, I talk about this in Gift to Failure a little is that when we see our kids in peril, even though it's just, oh my gosh, their future is uncertain, we get that sort of cortisol, like, oh my gosh, the saber-toothed tiger is after my kid and I have to jump in and save them. But if we could step back from that a little bit, take a deep breath and realize behind doesn't exist right now because we're all doing this. Yes, some countries managed to get things sort of did a little bit better than we did in, in getting things sort of locked down at first. So they are going back to school now, but everyone's going to be quote unquote behind. So there is no really behind. Teachers are learning as they go. Parents are learning as they go. So we really need to have a some patience with each other and having some patience with our kids too, I think is going to be just essential for this situation because we're all freaked. And showing yourself so much grace because, yeah, I mean, we're all just, like you said, trying to figure it out. We're trying to do the best mm -hmm. we can. Yeah. And every day with new things coming in and changes, if you're working at home and you have all the pressures of your mm -hmm. job and you're trying to help your child it's okay to not be perfect. Right. It's okay. Well, and I, I have an optimistic view too. Do you want to hear the good yes, side? Yes, I always oh, here's, here's Yes, here's the good side. So a lot of what I'm talking about in Gift of Failure is creating what's called intrinsic motivation, which is getting kids interested in doing stuff for the sake of the thing itself and getting them motivated to be what's called self-directed. There's a fantastic book, by the way, called The Self-Directed Child by Bill Sticksrude and Ned Johnson that I think everyone should check out. This is an amazing time to do one a couple of the things that you need to do in order to get your kid on this sort of path towards being more competent, more autonomous, all of that stuff, which is if you're spending a lot of time with your kid, this is an incredible opportunity to, number one, give them some independence or autonomy so that they can start being responsible for some of these things themselves. But especially for littler kids, this is an incredible opportunity to help make learning more relevant for them. So fractions, for example, let's take fractions are super hard for some kids. Like it's really difficult to conceptualize fractions, but let's say you're making, you know, something for dinner and it calls for a cup of rice. You could say, hide the cup measure and say, okay, we don't have a cup measure. What are we going to do? How are we going to get to this cup without having that? We have a two thirds cup measure. We have a one third cup measure. We have a half cup measure. I guess no one really has a two thirds cup measure, whatever <laughs> you have all of these different. I actually do get there. Do you really? <laughs> it came in a thought. Yeah. <laughs> so having the ability to actually make learning relevant for kids is one of the more important things that we do. And it's really the secret sauce of teaching from a teacher's perspective, because we can teach all we want about some abstract concept that has nothing to do with anything the kids will ever use in their real life, or we can make it relevant for them. And that creates connections between their learning and the real world. And that's one of the ways that we really make learning stick. So there are, you know, your kid best. So find these things your kids are really interested in and then tie their learning to those things whenever possible. We're in each other's faces all the time. So, you know, tie some of that stuff together and it can actually make learning stick better and make learning more interesting. So I have a little story about fractions and, yeah, um, and I'm not sure what I learned. I'm not sure what I learned, <laughs> but uh, so to set the stage, I was in about fourth grade. One of my grandfathers was incredibly ill and my mother was a nurse and traveling about a hundred miles away, staying with them for the week. And so as she did that, she made a ton of meals over the weekend so that my dad, my sister and I had food for dinner. Mm -hmm. My uncle was staying with us 
because my dad was building a massive addition to his business. Mm-hmm. And so we were going to have pea soup one evening. And in the Callahan household, pea soup always is accompanied by cornbread. Okay. Nice. And so here I was in fourth grade without a good concept of fractions. Uh-huh. And I was told to make the cornbread. And so I pulled out that 20 cent box of Jiffy cornbread mix, <laughs> which hasn't changed in that, this whole to. time. <laughs> and looked at the recipe and said, okay, cornbread, dot check. One dash three cups of milk. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yep. I don't know what that means, but it sounds to me like I need a one unit of three cups of milk. Right. <laughs> so, okay. so I poured the three cups of milk into the cornbread mix and had um, a very liquidy based uh, yeah. mix. My father, who was incredibly frugal, decided that it was better to not throw that away and start from scratch. Yeah. But what we should do is we should find all of the cornbread mixes and in add, our house more, add more mixes. Oh, it. yeah. Add more to it. So I think that, you know, today, about 40 years later, there still might be some cornbread in one of the freezers. <laughs> the- I can tell you, forever. you learned. You say that you're not sure what you learned from that. You learned a ton from that. Number one, you can recall that story now, which is indicative of the fact that it it got, that learning got what's called encoded. It went right past your short-term memory directly into your long-term memory, which gave you the access to this learning. And this is the wonky teacher stuff. You can not only manipulate that learning for other contexts, you have this kind of recall, this vivid recall for this learning. And Math teachers love those kinds of stories because it shows the various ways that kids will do problem solving. And so no, uh, given, you know, instructions that they're not clear about. The cool thing is that what you experienced right there is, an, is something called a desirable difficulty that is one of the more powerful teaching tools that teachers have, which is give kids a problem that they have to sort of figure out themselves and parse. And when you do that, for kids that can stick it out to the end and don't just fall apart and get frustrated, those kids will know the information more durably, will be able to you know, recall it for longer, and will have a deeper understanding of the material. But it's the kids that get frustrated and give up and go, oh, I can never do it. I can never do it. Those are the kids that can't benefit from desirable difficulties. And what's really interesting is the research is pretty clear on this the research of this woman named Wendy Grolnick, when you are overly directive of your kids or your students and you feed them too much information, you're like, okay, first do this, next do this. Okay, no, 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 not that way. Do it this way. That's called highly directive. Kids who have highly directive parents and or highly directive teachers sometimes are less likely to stick with tasks that are challenging for them and make them feel frustrated. So they can't benefit from desirable difficulties. Whereas kids who have had what are called autonomy supportive parents, parents who like give them a little bit of slack, let them figure it out, let them make a mistake, say, okay, well, this didn't work. What what do you think we could do now? Do you think we could add extra boxes of, you know, cornbread mix, blah, blah, blah. Those kids are far more likely to complete challenges, challenging tasks, tasks that are a little bit difficult for them and more likely to benefit from the learning. So you learned a ton 
from that moment in your life. And kudos to your dad for coming up with a creative solution as well, because the answer, just throw it away, would have, that would be, have been an obvious ending point for lots of people. But the problem solving that came out of that was as valuable as anything else in that experience. So that was great all the way around. Teachers just melt when they hear that. Kind of stuff. <laughs> well, and, also, and I will say, I love math now. Like I, I dove into math by the time I was in fifth grade and just really thrived in that subject. Yeah. Yeah. But Garth, I also love that your dad didn't yell at you or make you feel yeah. badly or make you feel like a failure or tell you how, how much you, the mistake that you made. I mean, right. that could have been a major self-esteem situation that really right. hurt you for the long run. But instead it was like, okay, how do we solve this problem? Yeah. And I think that's the key really is just helping our kids recognize that they don't have to be perfect. They don't have to be perfect. They're going to make mistakes, especially right now when we're all living with our kids so much more than maybe we're used to. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I have my college daughter who's home, my senior rising senior in high school. And um, I mean, we're spending spending so much more time together, which is such a joy, but there's also, you see things when you're spending that much more time together that maybe, maybe you don't see because you're not there to see it, if you will. So you I get mean, past I'm, those superficial conversations into yeah. the stuff that's really important. And yeah. it gives us the opportunity to sort of really get a, a, a glimpse into what's really important for our kids. And that's how we get leverage for helping them learn more, helping them figure out what's important to them and what they want to work towards, help them, helping them come up with goals and stuff like that. I love that you said that because I think it's so important that parents really pay attention to what's important to their kids. Absolutely. Like yeah. not what's important to me, not mm -hmm. my hobbies, not what I love, but like what actually excites you, what turns you on. And then I feel like it's my job as your parent, if I want to feel and grow our relationship to kind of meet you where you are. And so yeah. if that means that, you know, you want to watch X movie and you're really into it, then sure, let's watch that movie. If that means that you're reading this book, then maybe I'll read that book and we can talk about it. I mean, there's so many ways that sometimes parents, we want our kids to be where we are instead mm -hmm. of being where our kids are. And right. this time is really kind of a beautiful opportunity to pay attention to some of those things. Yeah, I joke when I'm on stage talking to parents at schools that for the past five years, until about a year ago, I was teaching in an inpatient drug and alcohol rehab for adolescents. And a lot of those kids had had a lot of, you know, they a lot of them had learning delays. A lot of them had academic issues all over the place. So I could walk into that classroom on any given day and have kids just all over the spectrum in terms of where they were with their learning and, and their needs. And so I joke with parents, I promise that if I ever walk into a classroom and your kid is there, whether it's in a middle school classroom, a high school classroom, God forbid it, a rehab classroom. And I promise I will teach the students in front of me, not the students I wish I had. As long as you promise me that you will parent the child you have, not the kid you wish you had, because they know when we do that. And there are great ways that are in actually in Gift of Failure about ways to get to know your kids so that you can actually use that information to not only have a better relationship with your kid, but to have the information you need in order to say, okay, well, because this thing is important to you, there's going to be certain if you, oh, you, you want to be an architect. That's so cool. Let's talk about what the kind of things you would need to do, like 
I don't know, now, uh, two years from now, in order to move towards being an architect. That would be really fun. Let's talk about that. Let's go, you know, talk with some architects and find out what they do. So it's so important right now for us to have some real conversations with our kids instead of, you know, let's talk about your French grades. Let's talk about an SAT prep kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Can we, let's, let's go there. Let's talk a little bit about sure. some of the steps that you share in The Gift of Failure, which is mm-hmm. such a beautiful book, because I think parents can really benefit from that right now. Um, right now we're taping this. It's in July, but mm-hmm. it, it'll come out in the fall. And I think- Back to school's right around the corner. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. a lot mm-hmm. of parents, we're going to, look, no matter what situation you're in, I think we're going to be spending a lot more time with our kids. And so let's go there so that our, our listeners can get to know their kids a little bit better and use the time to maybe mm-hmm. intentionally get to get to strengthen their relationship. Yeah. So my favorite thing to do by far, and yes, you may get an eye roll with this. I get an eye roll with this sometimes too. I have a college student. He's a rising junior and I have a rising junior in, um, in high school as well. And believe me, eye rolls, I'm very familiar. So one of my favorite things is in gift of failure, I talk about the concept of talking about goals with your kids and every once in a while, you know, we'll sit down for dinner and actually right before the school year starts is a great time to do it. Because I'm doing a lot of reassessing about how I want my writing career, my speaking career to go over the next three months. And three months, a season is a really great manageable chunk of time to talk about. And go into this not like, oh, kids, guess what you're going to do now at dinner. This is a, hi, so at dinner tonight, you know, I wanted to talk about this thing. I need to come up with some goals for myself to really push myself because I don't have, you know, a boss looking over my shoulder, blah, blah, blah. So I need to come up with some goals for myself for the next three months. And I think I'm going to come up with three. And I think what we should do is we should all do this. And one of the goals, let's have it be so that one of the goals is a little bit scary, like a little bit something that will just push us to do something a little bit crazy and can't be like your kids writing down the goals you think they should have. Like I'm going to get an A in math this mm-hmm. semester. Um, it has to be their goals. And then what we tend to do is we write those goals down. We talk about what our goals are for the next three months. And then in three months, we, you know, we talk about them or along the way we talk about them. And number one, it brings you together as a family because when our kids see us screw up and when our kids see us model the very behavior we want from them, which is to put ourselves out there and take some risks and challenges that are a little bit scary for us because we learn from them. When we come back together to talk about what really just went down the drain. It didn't work very well or what went really well or what didn't go well and what are we going to do differently next time? Everyone's going to have an appreciation for how hard we worked on this thing that meant a lot to us. And, you know, some of those goals may be really small things like, you know, I want to make a new friend outside of my friend circle this year or, you know, I'm going to try to not have any missing homework assignments this year, or I'm going to keep my room clean for a couple of days in a row or something like that. And it can be just a really good way to sort of get a little window into what really matters to your kid. And you got to be okay with the fact that sometimes their goals are not going to have anything to do with what you wish their goals would be. You got to be chill with that because setting your own goals and then sort of talking then about what you have to do to achieve those goals, that's how kids learn that 
the process of learning is as important, if not way more important, actually, than the end result. So that process, you know, when the kids come home with a bad grade and you say, oh, that's okay. All I care about is that you learn something. They know we're most of the time we're lying about that. Mm -hmm. And so if we can, if we can help them see that what we really do care about is the learning, then we'll be in good shape. So, you know, talking about our goals, talking about how to get there, talking about, you know, what matters to us and what we learn and how we're going to do it differently next time. That's a fantastic way to sort of get at what we care about and what we're going to work on on ourselves. I love that because it doesn't matter how old you are or where you are in your in your stage of life. We can always take the time to look at what we want, look at our goals, look at right. where we want to go in three months. I mean, that's how we grow. I wrote, I wrote some down this morning. This okay. Very- so what was your scary <laughs> goal? If you don't mind sharing it, I would love to so- hear that. I'm planning ahead for the launch of my next book, which will be out next April. And I have to always put a couple of reach, you know, what do I want for the launch of this book? What are, what will, what will success for this book mean to me? And for me, those are some, there are some really personal parameters there. And one of them has to do with an expert that I really, really admire and making sure that person gets a copy of my book and making sure that they, you know, I want to know what they think. And that's an incredibly scary, I mean, putting your work out there to someone you really, really respect and hoping, hoping, hoping that you, you did the subject matter justice. That's really scary. So yes, I have goals in terms of like, oh, what, what kind of media and what kind of, you know, those sort of things, but really my private successes look a little different from my public successes. And they're sometimes much scarier than failing at the public successes. Yeah, I think we can all agree to agree with that. So Dari, you know what I'm thinking though. What I I'm have going to no tell idea her. what you're thinking right you, now. What's the worst that could happen? Yeah. So okay. <laughs> True. So Garth always says he one of my favorite things that I've learned from Garth is that he is someone who has often encourages me to get out of my comfort zone and blah, blah, blah. But he'll always say to me, if I'll say something like, oh gosh, I don't know if I want to do that, blah, blah, blah. He'll say, Dara, what's the worst that can happen? And it's such a beautiful lesson that I've learned from Garth and that our listeners can Mm -hmm. learn because most of the time, the worst that can happen is really not that bad. So if you send that book to the person that you really admire and I mean, more than likely, they're going to love it and expect them to love it. But if they don't love it, okay, they don't love it. What's the worst that can happen? You move on. You're still going to be okay. And I think that's such a great lesson for me. In fact, I put that in my new book that's coming out because I wanted people to, it's something that I've really appreciated Mm -hmm. learning from you. And I, I, you know, I think it's, it's really important to ask ourselves because a lot of times we hold ourselves back because we're, we're fear, fear gets in the way. We all know that. And it's like, I've got this light switch that says fear on or off, and I'm just always turning it off. And this is not because of cancer, right? So Jessica, just to give you a quick background, I've been diagnosed with cancer seven times Mm -hmm. in the last eight years or so. I currently have cancer right now. There's no cure. And I think it would be one thing for me to be able to say, oh, you know, because of cancer, I developed this fearlessness because it really has set my priorities. But I think that I've been this way forever. Really, I want to try something that is risky or new or strange Mm -hmm. 
what's the worst that could happen? And I, and I would go through in my head all of the worst case scenarios and then really think to myself, okay, now none of those are really going to happen. <laughs> so so yeah. why should I hold myself back? And you know, I, I can pick examples from even when I was a teenager that you know, I wanted to be an exchange student and I wanted to get, win this scholarship to become uh, an exchange student in Germany and didn't speak a single word of German. And I said, you know, I'm going to try this because really what's the worst that can happen? The worst is that I don't get the scholarship. The best is that I do get the scholarship and I end up going to a country where I can't even communicate with anybody, but I'll probably be able to pick up at least enough German that I can eat and know where to go to the bathroom and you and not I get too the lost. exact same thing. I applied for a scholarship. I applied for a fellowship uh, in college to Germany, a fellowship I didn't get actually, which was cool. Again, that the person who uh, was going to be un signing, you know, the dotted line to sort of endorse me was like, but you don't speak any German. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it was just, it was one of those experiences. And I think, you know, when I get interviewed, often people ask me about what my parents were like, because I, you know, they think it offers some insight into, you know, how I am now and how I parent and all that stuff. And I think it does because my parents pretty much, number one, encouraged me to try everything. And number two, trusted that it would be okay. You know, no matter what happened, they were going to be there for me. They were going to be supportive. They were going to, you know, help me land softly afterwards. And, you know, that was the greatest gift I could ever have been given by my parents to have them support my autonomy to try things, try it on my own, screw it up, knowing that they were going to be there for me as a, a soft landing and to help me parse through the lessons I learned after the fact. So, so that's yeah, a I, huge I, gift because a lot of times I think parents are afraid that their kids are going to fail. And so they don't even want their kids to try. And it's not or about afraid their kids will be uncomfortable or yeah, frustrated. Totally. That's just unbearable. Yeah. yeah. Why are we so uncomfortable watching our kids be uncomfortable? Because it's a, it's a report card on our parenting. Yeah. A, it triggers us because we don't want them to be uncomfortable. We want them to be fearless. And when they're not fearless, we see that as some sort of statement on our lack of training them to be fearless. And number two, it's just, you know, from that very primal parenting place, we don't like to see our kids uncomfortable or frustrated. We want to save them from those feelings of, I'm so stupid, you know, that kind of stuff. And so if we can immediately give them the answer, then here, you're not stupid. Here's the answer. Take it. Run because with it. it's a validation of ourselves. I love that you said that. But, you know, I we see that. Cards for our parenting. We just, yeah. we don't get any, you know, and so unfortunately when we don't get report cards for parenting, we tend to take our children and make them our external validation for parenting. And not only is that completely unfair to our children because it co-ops their successes and their failures and all that stuff as ours, which it's not, it's completely not fair to us because children are their own people and they're going to make mistakes and it has absolutely nothing to do with our parenting. In fact, if they didn't ever make any mistakes, then that would be an indictment of our inability to teach them to take any risks or mistake or, or to, to risk taking, you know, taking a challenge that they might fail at. Well, we're not helping our kids be the best version of themselves as an adult if we don't let them make mistakes as kids. Right. You know, I see that so much, especially when it comes to that whole, where's your child going to college thing? Because yeah. it's so oh, not, I mean, you know exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about. It's not a reflection on to me based on where my child goes to school. It's based on the best fit for my child where she can try this. 
Okay. When your kid starts to apply to college, tell them the one thing I will not do at the other end of this is put a sticker on the back of my car that becomes my boasting point when yeah, I walk exactly into, right. when I drive into the parking lot, because your choice of where you go to get an education is far, far more important than my ability to brag about the name so on the back. So, of my why, car. why are so many people, why is that a thing? Because report card for our parenting. Okay. If our kid gets into an Ivy League school, then yeah. clearly we nailed it. This is like we get to drive around with our big A on the back of our car, which is just yeah unconscionable. I hate you well, know. Now, I think now I'm now I'm feeling really really badly because I do like I don't have any I don't have anything on my car except for one tiny little sticker that says that I'm a Washington and Lee okay. dad. But here's the thing: I don't. I have. You know, I have a sticker on my car, but my daughter Zoe put it there because so. she was so proud that she goes yeah. there. She was like, mom, and it says something like, you know, a mom, mom or whatever. She was so happy that I'm a mom of whatever. And so I think that's perfect. And, and I'm the first one to say, too, when people talk about Emma getting in there, I am the first one to say that I encouraged her to go. But also, it didn't matter where she ended up going. And it was all her, right? So I don't take any credit. She didn't allow me to edit essays. She didn't, you know, outside of occasionally asking her if she was meeting the deadlines just to make sure she was staying on track. I'm more proud of the fact that she did this than anything. But I'm I'm starting to think, okay, I, because Dara, you know me, I wear that Washington Lee hat. Yeah, but that's, you know, I'm talking about about a symbolic act here. If they want to stick a sticker on the back of your car after the fact, that's totally different. I mean, I know the very first thing my kid did when he got into the college of his choice was to say, can we drive there so I can buy a sweatshirt? You know, that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. We did the same thing. That's that's, awesome. Yeah. you know, and what I'm talking about is what kind of statement can you make to your kid where you say, look, I really, I swear to you, I'm emotionally withdrawing from this a little bit, even though I had very emotional yeah. feelings about yeah. where my kid applied or didn't apply. Uh, of course, I wanted my redo. Of course, I wanted him to yeah. apply to the place that I wish I had applied to or gotten into or whatever. Yeah. But that's my crap. That's on me. And just if we can do some little symbolic thing to say, this is not about me. This is about you picking the place that's right for you. You can blow that up later. I don't care about that, but it's a small symbolic act that shows them that you really do mean it. You're not just paying lip service. But I think we can use that doing what's right for you in the way we navigate our relationship with our kids, because I find myself like paying attention to that right now, even with my daughter, Zoe, who's a rising junior in college. You know, when I think about what is she talking about doing? You know, I have to pay attention to myself. I have to kind of check in with myself because I want to support what she wants to do for herself, not necessarily an experience that I really wanted to have in college that I didn't get to have. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? Maybe she doesn't even need to have that. that that's not something she even wants to have. Yeah. But it's yeah. so easy to kind of slide those things in there. And then our kids hear our voices right. and they hear that, you know, should I do this? Right. You know, I want to please my parents. Right. And so it's, I don't, it's a hard one. We've, yeah. I've got to really check in with myself a lot to make sure that I'm supporting what my kids do for them. Not well, necessarily. And I, 
I got a really good wake up call on that one, actually, because I, you know, when my kids show an interest in something, I'm like all in. I'm like, what do you need? How can I support you? Blah, 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 blah. And my younger kid, finally, he was really sweet about it. He said, you know, when I start talking about something and you go crazy and you're like, oh, let's get the equipment and let's do da 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 And then the Amazon package is like delivered right. the next day. Then it starts to feel like your thing, not mine. And pressure. So if, if, if I want that thing, if I need a software package for that, if I need some equipment for that, I will talk to you about it. But you can't, you know, so for me, the, the lessons I've learned about you know, when I stick my nose in, when I don't, is to have sort of this, oh, that's cool, disinterested sort of tell me more about that kind of thing and and let them talk about it as opposed to suddenly saying, oh my gosh, you could, do you know there's a major for that in college? And you could do it. <laughs> and, you know, and from my perspective, I felt so bad because I'm like, all I really want to do is support you and let you know that no matter what you love, even if it's something that I never would have thought, you know, oh, you know, my kid wants to be an actor. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? But I want to show you that even if it's something like that, that I am behind you. And he's like, there's showing that. And then there's like showing that there's coping it, and there's freaking out and there's putting pressure on me to, to do it the way you want me to do it. So that was a big lesson for me. Oh, I love that so much. That's a lesson that we can all sort of pay attention to. Someone told me a long time ago, an expert said to me, Dara, try to love a little more loosely. And that yeah, really good. was so, so needed. I needed to hear that yeah, yeah. because in my quest to want to have such a great relationship and to really, you know, support them and be where they are and blah, blah, blah. I was like suffocating yeah. sometimes and yeah. it was backing off that really impacted my relationship with my youngest daughter in a positive way. It yeah. took, I, I can't remember when I started saying this to Emma, but she was probably an early teen, maybe a preteen. I wanted her to understand that my love for her was unconditional, oh. regardless of it wasn't what sports she played. It wasn't the type, even the type of person she became. Mm -hmm. My job as a dad was to love her. Mm -hmm. And, and I told her, you know, Emma, I can't love you anymore. Yeah. I love that. I, but I also That's can't love great. you any less, right? right? So it's about our relationship as parent and child. And it's not about the fact that I love that you're a great softball player. Although I really do love that. Right. If you walked away from softball, I would still love you for whatever else you picked up. Right. Um, right. And, and that really changed the dynamics of how we interacted with each other. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot of parents. I talk to parents about, you know, you can say that sort of stuff that I love you no matter what. And then we freak out when they bring home an A and we get upset when they bring home a D. But the way that you can make sure that they really believe us is if you really focus more on the process and less on the product. So if they bring home, you know, a terrible grade and a great grade and you say to them, oh, interesting, what did you do to get that grade? And what are you going to do differently or the same next time in order to replicate or make that not happen again? How can I support you for next time? All of that convinces them that we really do mean it when we say what we care about is the learning and not the grades. And and that I'm not saying we can't care about grades, but I'm saying we should care more about the process of the learning process. than the end product. Yeah, so true. I would be so grateful if you pre-ordered my new book, I Am My Mother's Daughter, Wisdom on Life, Loss, and Love 
As a thank you, there are five free downloadable items that will be immediately sent to your inbox when you fill out the pre-order form at crazyperfectlife.com. Thank you so much. I am incredibly appreciative. Garth, do you have a napkin note for us today? I do, but before I go into the napkin note, I want to share this. So I'm absolutely the the parent who supports learning and not necessarily mm-hmm. the number or the letter that's on the, <laughs> the the quarterly report card. Although I really appreciate when my daughter gets A's because then we right, can go to Krispy Kreme and get free donuts for each A, right? But so there was a point in time where... Um, where Lisa was very grade focused and I felt I needed to step even, even further back Yeah, mm-hmm. um, to balance that out. And yep. I, um, Emma brought her report card home one day and I kissed her. I said, great job, honey. And she's like, dad, you didn't even look. Yeah. <laughs> I said, yeah, you're right. I didn't. Um, I, yeah. I have all the confidence that you did what you wanted to do and what you needed to do to earn whatever's there. And if you want to talk about it with me, that's great. Um, but yeah. I'm really proud of of how you are developing as a student. No, and yeah. it blew her away. Yeah, yeah. we uh, now that we have to deal with things like portals too, where you know we can log in any old time and look at their grades. We have an added challenge of where are we on that? And you know, until just recently, because of coronavirus, I had to log in for the very first time ever as a parent. I had never done it before. Being able to give them the space to say that's a really great tool for you to use to you know make sure that you're where you need to be and all your assignments are in, and I will look at it with you if you'd like. But that's really a tool for you to use uh, for your information. And and it's been interesting to watch parents have to navigate that new tool as something that they're expected to use now instead of as an extra thing they could use if they really needed it. So I, I love once. that you said that. And I want to say something about that. So I don't even know my password to get into my kids' yeah. world. Yeah. I mean, yeah. from, my, from my perspective, <clears throat> you know, they know what's at stake. They understand the ramifications. It's their, their, their grades. Right. Plus, when they were like in lower school, I had to be in the portals or whatever because they were younger and it kind of stressed me out. Like, I don't want to know what you got on your fourth grade social studies test because, <laughs> you know, we called it out the night before and it didn't work well for me. So I right. chose to not go on when they got older and gave it to them and it was their responsibility. But, you know, oh my gosh, so many times back in the day, I would be in the parenting line picking up my yeah. kids. And, you know, I would be talking to a group of moms and they would say, you know, what did Zoe get on such and such test? And I was like, I have no idea what she got on that test. And it was just so funny. They were almost like, I felt like I was being judged a little bit because I didn't Mm -hmm. know because I yeah. wasn't paying attention. Right. And that's the fear. I have parents chase me down after my events. I had one very specifically chase me down after my event when I was going to my car and say, look, I'm with you on this. I need to give my kid more autonomy. I need to assume she's more competent than I have been. And I need to back off. But I can't be the first one to do it because then everyone's going to think that I'm, you know, laying down on my duty and not giving my all. And that's why in Gift of Failure, when I talk about grading portals, I don't say just don't use them. I give like 10 different strategies because Mm -hmm. some people, that's not an option. They're just never going to back off completely. And that's fine. There are lots of different ways. Maybe use it once a term, maybe say to your kid on 
Monday. Sweetie, we're going to look on Friday together. So you have between now and Friday to go work out any issues with any missing assignments. And so when we sit down on Friday, it'll be nothing will be a surprise for either one of us. There are lots of different ways to handle it, but all of them should come from a place of communication with your kid, not going behind their back and surveilling them because surveilling your kid is actually yeah. one of the fastest ways to get them to resent yeah. you and to not want to do the work because, and that's And they a, don't think you trust them. They don't right. think well, that and, you trust them. And gift of failure gift of failure is all about the fact that these extrinsic motivators like money for grades or surveillance or love in exchange for grades, all of those things actually undermine kids' motivation to want to learn. They don't build kids' motivation to learn. So we have to back off and focus more on the process and less on the product and stop giving these rewards. And although Krispy Kremes, I, I can't, I can't say that that's a bad thing simply because we don't have Krispy Kremes here in Vermont. And I would kill to have Krispy Kremes here, so I'm not going to say anything negative about your Krispy Kreme situation. So yeah, I'm located so, uh, <laughs> in Winston-Salem, which is the headquarters of Krispy Kreme, yeah. by the way. Um, Last time I flew into Richmond, Virginia, I believe I noticed as we were landing that there was Krispy Kreme right next to the airport. So, of course, that was the very first oh, that's place. that's so there. funny. Love it. By, by the way, that's where I live. So please, the next time you come in, I <laughs> gladly treat you to Krispy Kremes. Um, although, I'm as the only it, person at the at the airport Krispy Kreme, like waiting for the hot donuts to come off. I was so excited. Oh um, I, I am a true New Englander, though, and I do prefer Dunkin'. So uh, uh -huh. But I'm not going to turn down any donut. Garth, um, what's the napkin note today? Yeah, so for anybody who's new to the Thrive Podcast, I have been writing notes and sticking them into my daughter's lunch ever since she was in kindergarten. When Emma was in eighth grade, I was diagnosed with cancer for my third time, and the doctors gave me a very grim prognosis. So I wrote out all of the notes that I needed to from then until high school graduation, just in case I died. And I have been cataloging the notes that I've been writing to Emma. She is now 20, a rising junior in college, and I still write her notes to stick into her lunch every day. So when we were talking about family goals and sitting down and talking about 90 days, I actually changed the note because of that. And this is a note that I wrote to Emma a few years ago, and I really like the sentiment behind it. And it says, Dear Emma, even if where you are is a good place to be, it is not a good place to stay. Love, Dad. Oh, that's I love lovely. that. Get that's out of your sweet. comfort zone. That's great. Yes. Yeah. Jessica, <clears throat> we always love to ask our guests to share with us a special thriving tip, a little nugget of extra goodness that you use in your life to help you as you navigate through, especially these challenging days. So mm -hmm. what is something that's really working for you right now to help you thrive? What's really working for me right now is something that I actually have been using for a while, which is, you know, I have to focus on sort of parenting or whatever it is as sort of a, a long-term, the long-term goals that are out there. If I'm focused, especially right now on the sort of everyday, what did I get done today? Oh, I didn't meet my word count today. I did this, this emergency got in the way today. I really have to think more long-term because this is going to be the way we live for a while. And I had to go in and change my goals for the year, change my goals for the quarter, change my goals for what life is going to look like, because frankly, I expected to be on the road um, speaking all fall long, and that's yeah. no longer the case. And my entire career has changed because of 
what's going on right now. So, um, you know, in some ways for the better, in some ways for the worse. And so highlighting what's better and highlighting how I, what I can control and what I can't has been a really important part. So that long-term goal, instead of focusing on the everyday emergencies, has been essential for me these days. I love, I love that so much. And giving yourself permission to yeah. go back and say, okay, mm-hmm. this is where we are now. I, yeah. It's okay for me to change where I thought right. I was going to go and right. give myself permission to focus on X instead of why. I love that. We do so that. Much. We do that on our podcast. My two co-hosts on the hashtag am writing podcast every year, we talk about goals at the uh, beginning of the new year. And then in June, we do a goal check-in and just sort of see where we are and what we, but we had to do uh, our April check-in this year and we really drastically changed our goals this year. And I think giving ourselves the flexibility to, it's something as, as a teacher, I have to do all the time. I go into the classroom and I've got like plan A, B, C, D, E, F. And frankly, when I'm teaching, especially at the rehab, I have to go all the way down to Q sometimes because mm-hmm. nobody's feeling Jess's plans A through Q. So you know, <laughs> it's, it's flexibility is flexibility going to save us right now. I think flexibility is the number one word for us all to take away right now because we have to be flexible. Whatever situation we're in today, things could change and we have to be able to say it's okay I'm going to do the best that I can with the situation that I'm dealing with now. Thank you so much for being here, Jessica. We will have all of the links to her, her wonderful book and social media tags, blog in podcast in the show notes. Check her out. You will love it. The Gift of Failure. Definitely a must read. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a blast. Oh, you've been a fantastic guest. We can't wait to have you back. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Thrive is created with the hope that we help you develop motivation and inspiration to make your life remarkable. You can find out more about me at napkinnotesdad.com. I invite you to get my free audio download, Reclaim Your Life at crazyperfectlife.com with tips and tools to help you feel your best. It would mean so much to us if you shared this with your friends and family and left us a review on iTunes. Remember, you deserve to thrive. Thrive Podcast is copyrighted by Dara